Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Every three weeks, Father Jeffrey and I release an hour-long episode regarding an aspect of Orthodox life. However, only patrons get access to the last half hour of our discussion. If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, you can head over to pryingpriest.com support. But for now, enjoy the first half of this double feature. Lay ministry is our topic today. Lay ministry. And first of all, we need to define these terms, Father Jeffrey. Um, mm-hmm. what, what does it mean to be a lay person? I think we often use that term, but we might not actually know exactly what it means. So maybe we'll start there. Would you mind talking a little bit about the word lay? Well, yeah, I mean, probably m- most of our time could be taken up just with the etymology and meaning of things today, because um, both laity and clergy have fascinating um, you know, histories and the the resonance throughout the Bible and so forth. So we'll get to a lot of that as we go through. We'll be referring to it throughout. But just off the bat here, obviously, there's a kind of colloquial, idiomatic use of layperson today, which has to do with those who are not trained in something, right? So if we talk about um, a layperson's guide to, I don't know, electronics or to, you know, uh, camping or something like that is somebody who's not been inducted into the the kind of mysteries of that, doesn't have training mm-hmm. and so forth. So there's that sense of layperson. But the, the etymology of it um, is, it just comes from the Greek word for people, for, you know, so the Laos are the people. Um, so anybody who belongs to the people of God is a lay person. Um, and so that means every single one of us who's baptized, chrismated, joined to the covenant family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the body of Christ, the new creation is a lay person. And it's something that we need to hold up and be, uh, be especially, you know, mindful of what that means in terms of responsibilities, in terms of what that means in terms of ministry and, and so forth. But as I say, the, the kind of societal colloquial use of this is to almost downgrade or down play the significance of a lay person, but actually in a Christian context, in a biblical context, a lay person is the very thing you want to be. It's the thing you need to live up to. It's it's a member of the people of God, the, the kind of vanguard of God's new creation for the whole cosmos. Yeah. And I guess when the New Testament talks about, you know, those two famous, the, the, fa- the famous line, um, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? In that sense, would those two descriptors, a holy priesthood, uh, a holy nation, be applied to the laos, to the people, to all the people of the church? Absolutely. And I mean, this is something I would like us to to kind of get into and explore a little bit um, in our time today. Uh, but there is a kind of prophetic element, you know, to that, because uh, in the old covenant, under the old covenant, there was a very specific priesthood, right? There was a promise that was made. Uh, We get this promise reiterated in in a few different places that Israel would be a kingdom of priests, right? That all people would 
come and fulfill that royal priesthood uh, that you know God is expecting of his people. But for the time being, for a period of time, the, there is a specific, a very narrowly defined priesthood. And so there, in, the, in the old covenant, you have this distinction between the, the people generally, the Laos, and the, the, those who have taken, who belong to a specific line of descent, the, the family, the, the tribe of Levi, and the uh, specifically within that, you know, we have Aaron, who who is one of the members of the, the tribe of Levi, and then descendants of Aaron are the, they become the Aaronite, you know, priesthood and so forth. But the promise, the expectation is that one day all of the people of God will be in that role, right? So, so, so it's it's only until the promises are fulfilled that you make a separation, which is fascinating because I'm pretty sure our discussion today is going to go to why this division, why this separation, why do we, you know, have this whole thing set aside, this distinction between the kind of professional clergy on one hand and the lay people, you know, on the other. But it's it's really quite fascinating to get into even where the terminology clergy, you know, comes from, and you, you mentioned priesthood, but it was the, the priests who, who were clergy and the word in, uh, the, the Greek that we have that gives us the word clergy in English, um, is, uh, kleros, klerikos, uh, kleronomia, which has to do with inheritance, right? And what this does, it goes right back to the, the Old Testament into the book of Joshua, for example, when the people of Israel were arriving into the promised land, every tribe was given part of the land. You know, the, 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 the Canaan uh, countryside was divided up into parcels and each tribe was given parcels. But there was one tribe that was not given anything. Can you guess which tribe that was? Levi. Levi. Because as priests, their inheritance was you know God Himself and and the service of God and everything. So it specifically says this is Joshua uh, chapter thirteen. Um, the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave to the tribe of Levi alone. Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. That's repeated a few different times. So the offerings, the sacrifices, the temple service that they do is their inheritance. The word there, by the time you get to the Septuagint, for inheritance is the word clergy, right? So God's inheritance is what it means to, to, to fulfill that role as clergy and so forth. But of course, elsewhere in the Old Testament, in that kind of prophetic, uh, you know, vision that you get right from the Torah, repeated in the prophets and so forth. But in Deuteronomy, God, you know, Moses says that God has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt to be a people of his own possession. And that word for possession is that same word inheritance, the kleros. So the laos are to become the kleros. That's the prophetic vision. God wants his people as his possession, as his inheritance. So prophetically, the laity are to become the clergy. And when the promises of God are fulfilled, all the laity will be clergy, interestingly. So the New Testament vision of ministry has to start with this 
prophetic notion, because we know in Christ all things are fulfilled. And so when you look at that very early New Testament context of how the church organizes itself, the the Holy Spirit descends on the church at Pentecost, anoints the church the church as the Holy Spirit had anointed Christ himself at the beginning of his ministry, and the church goes out to do the ministry, to continue the ministry that Christ as the king had already begun to do in the world, the, the showing what the kingdom looks like, what the new creation looks like. The characterization of that church, of that body, is that all the Laos are kleros. All the lay people are clergy. And that's what the, the, the early church looks like, right? So within that, we can talk about diversity of gifts, diversity of ministries, and so forth. But the fundamental premise of it all is that God's people have become his possession. His laos have become his kleros. There is no distinction then between even laity and clergy in that regard, because this is the prophetic you know, fulfillment and so forth. To make a distinction, fundamentally, theologically, to make a distinction between lay and cleric is to say the promises of God are not fulfilled. Now that's pretty scary considering what we've done over the course of the centuries in the church and how we professionalized, you know, one group of of ministers, one group of gifts or one part of that ministry and we've let, you know, the 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 role of the laity that royal priesthood that you referred to, that kingdom of priests that God has called his people to be, we've let that kind of wither. And so on both sides, you know, this clericalization, uh, you know, which the lay people have accepted, the, the clergy have put forward or, or, or pushed to this kind of level of excess, is, is in fact not just bad news in terms of the ministry of the church in a pragmatic sense. It is a reversal of God's promises. And that, to me, is not a great thing. Mm-hmm. I want to recap what you just said, because I think it's really important. And I, I think I just want to repeat it back also. Please, if I get it wrong, correct me, Father Jeffrey, Um, but I'm going to try and package it really nicely here. So um, in the Old Testament, we get this image of uh, priesthood, which is sort of an exclusive separate cast of people, um, the Levites, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the general Israelites, but then you also have this tribe of the Levites who are the priests. But then there's this vision that ultimately God will choose all of his people to be the priests, those people who, um, uh, uh, to, to, to be his inheritance. And then we see that uh, in the new Testament texts, when, when Jesus comes along, fulfills these things. And then the apostles in their teaching about what the Christian community is would say that promise is fulfilled, right? There is no exclusive cast of priests. Mm -hmm. Um, we are all a, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation together already. Is that uh, sort of the general movement? Absolutely. And this is emphasized over and over again. You know, in the, the book of Hebrews, which is, of course, one of the, you know, fundamental New Testament texts, which grapples with, you know, Old Testament priesthood and temple, tabernacle and sacrifice and, and so forth, and, and makes sense of it in the light of Christ. You know, th- there's even this kind of evoking of the sense that, well, in Christ, you know, that all of that has come to its fulfillment, the promises have been fulfilled and everything. And as a consequence, no one who is in the the people of God, has 
any lasting city on earth. No inheritance. There's no land for any of them. And of course, this is evoking that that those passages I was talking about in the book of Joshua as the people of Israel are coming to Canaan. Yes, 11 of the tribes get get their parcels of land, but one tribe doesn't. But that that's what's going to happen to everyone. So in Hebrews, the, the writer of the Hebrews talks about how members of the, the body of Christ, of the church, have no lasting city on earth. None of them have that. All, for all of them, the inheritance, the kleros, is to be in possession of, of God himself, to be in that ministry, that, that sac- sacrificial ministry that is the fulfillment of the priesthood, of, of temple, of sacrifice, and so forth. And of course, throughout the epistles of, of Paul and elsewhere, you get this idea that what we need to be doing, all of us, is this priestly ministry, this laying down our lives as a, as a living sacrifice and so forth. So all are now called into that same priestly ministry of Christ himself. And consequently, you know, the people have become the, have become God's possession. The, the, the people of God are uh, the inheritance. And, you know, we, that's reflected in the liturgy too. I, you probably know at the very end of, of the divine liturgy, every single Sunday, people have come forward, they've communed, they've taken the divine body and blood of Christ. And then the very first thing that the priest will say, or the presbyter will say in the liturgy after that is, Sosonotheo, save, O God, ton laonsu, your people, Ke evlogison and bless tin kleronomiansu, your inheritance, your clergy. That, that's the kleron, that's, that's part of that, right? So save, O God, your people and bless your inheritance. The people have become the inheritance. And at that moment of divine communion is when this is fully effected. We've, we've given the living sacrifice of our lives within the context of the, the the great service of the Eucharist of Thanksgiving. And in that moment, all the promises are fulfilled. So everything in the scriptures, in our liturgy and everything points to this. And yet we've somehow got it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you just, you, you threw me a, a good pitch there to hit, but um, I, let's, let's assume everything that you said to this point is true. Like in, <laughs> that's a good uh, safe assumption for <laughs> Yes, well, you're my teacher, so yeah, let's assume it's true. Um, okay, so the so I, I guess because what I'm going to do is maybe offer a criticism, but not a criticism of what you said, because I think of what you said is true, but on the ground, right? Like this is not the experience of many Orthodox people on the ground. No, right? The experience is that up there you have, as you mentioned, the sort of professionally religious over there. Um, it's, you know, it's their job. They, they run the church. I just sort of show up um, every once in a while um, or, or whatever it may be. Or, or maybe I want to join. Like I want to serve the church in a more profound way. In, in Maybe even in a, in, beyond just volunteering twice a month or something, right? Like I, I would love to be able to offer my gifts on a full-time basis to the church, but I am uh, somebody who does not qualify for an ordination for whatever reason. I am, I, I, I think there are people out there who feel flat out excluded from the kleros, right? From, mm-hmm. from feeling like they are one of the priests within the people of God. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, there's a lot that went into that over many centuries, um, you know, not least very recently, actually, with, you know, where the, the clergy have been especially professionalized, you know, over the last couple of centuries. I mean, this happened East and West in the church. And now, like doctors and lawyers and teachers, you know, clergy are expected to kind of go through some professional formation and so forth. And they belong to the you know, special caste and they get insured in a different way and all kinds of things happen. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that some of that was just plain inevitable in an advanced technological society such as ours, right? So you, I mean, just I mentioned insurance. I mean, that, that, that's not a negligible factor here, right? The kinds of things that some, you know, clergy need to, to get up to requires protection and security and so forth. And therefore, the insurers are going to turn around and say, you need X number of years of university education, graduate school, and so forth before we will, you know, uh, ensure that, you know, what you're doing is legitimate and, and so forth. So there's, there is a whole story to be told about why this develops. But I think we need to also hold up our hands and say that we have somehow theologically failed to grasp what the early church knew, you know, in terms of, on the one hand, the very high vocation of the people of God, what it means to be baptized and chrismated into that, and what ministry actually accrues to that. You mentioned about the way people feel, you know, they're not equipped. Well, I mean, why don't they feel equipped? I mean, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the very one who, who, whose breath, whose wind, whose the spirit who, that, that blows through all of creation, calling everything from non-existence into being, is the one who descended upon you in your personal Pentecost that is chrismation. And it's his power, his gift, his activity within you that is the equipping power of ministry. So why is it that anybody who's gone through baptism and chrismation been brought into the communion of the church receives the divine body and blood of Christ why would anybody not be equipped for ministry and why would they ever think that there's any other way to be that than to be a minister i mean that those things are go hand in hand there is no christian who's not a minister there's no minister who's not a christian and so when did we lose that? And why did we lose that? Why did we get to this point where people were looking at, you know, only a, a specific group of people within the church as being those who were charged with ministry? And yes, yeah, some of it spills out and over and, you know, in a properly functioning church, you know, lay people get a little bit involved and so forth, and certainly some more than, than others. But this, this fundamental notion that every lay person needs to be involved in this ministry, otherwise they aren't actually what they think they are. I mean, to have lost that was pretty profound indeed. And then this whole separation between laity, the laic on one side, and clergy, the, the cleric on the other, uh, is you know just devastating. In the early church, that distinction was not made at all. It took some centuries before 
Although that language, you know, came to, to mean what it does, you know, today. And I recognize on the one hand, you know, by, by hearkening back to the etymology of this isn't to tell, you know, the whole story. Maybe it makes sense to have that distinction within the church. Maybe those words can function that way, even though prophetically in the, in the scriptures that it, there was a whole other story to be told. But I think we shouldn't lose sight of that entirely. There's this kind of organic nature to the church. Where, uh, you know, as St. Paul talks about, the, the church is a body, right? And that body has all kinds of different organs and parts, and every single one of them is absolutely essential. And just because some of those parts have slightly more visibility, uh, you know, that there is a part of the church that presides at liturgy. And, and that's, and that's the part that, you know, obviously then gets professionalized and, and so forth, you know, as we've talked about. But, you know, that doesn't mean that the other parts aren't important. That's really, really clear from what St. Paul, you know, writes about. And in fact, our fundamental liturgical theology is that even in that space where there is presiding at liturgy, the other parts are still absolutely essential. There is no presiding if there's no rest of the body. And our liturgy makes that clear over and over and over again without the the amen without the responses, without the the full concelebration of the liturgy, the liturgy can't take place. We do not have a sense in the Orthodox Church that a, a bishop or a presbyter can serve the divine liturgy on his own, right? That's just not possible. And mm-hmm. so that, even if we have sort of said th- there are certain rules that for very good historical reasons have come to the fore. And, you know, these are the paid, professionalized, trained, insured roles within the church. It doesn't change that fundamental thing, which says that everybody is ordained into the priesthood of Christ by their baptism. A lay person is a full member of the people of God, and all the people of God have become his possession, his inheritance, and therefore all share in the ministry of, of what that, that, that involves, right? So everybody is a Levite in, in the New Testament. That's just how the, the scriptures work. It's just how the story unfolds. It's just how all the, the apostles talk about it. I think if you, I think sometimes people try and push an understanding of the church as being, let's say, egalitarian or the church being like really hierarchical. And, and I think that an Orthodox answer, and correct me if I'm wrong, Father Jeffrey, that if somebody said, is the, is the, is the Orthodox church egalitarian or hierarchical? I think the answer would be yes, mm-hmm. it's both, or at least in theory, it should be both. And I feel like if we can maybe adjust uh, and move into the context of like local parish life, in an ideal situation, you know, it's it's not just the presbyter imposing his domineering power on the community and then just leading everything. There has to be this, um, like, an equality of of value and opinion and 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 um, sharing and things like that. But then that there also is this hierarchy, right? That there is, everyone has a particular role. It's not an egalitarianism that dispenses with people's unique roles within the community, but where I think maybe the Orthodox Church could um, uh, improve in its parish life right now is to empower or to um, let those people who normally would have their 
power taken away by maybe a domineering priest or something like that, or the, or the expectation that the priest does everything um, to take on some of those responsibilities while not getting rid of the idea that the presbyter is indeed sort of the father of the of that community in a hierarchical sense. I don't know. Do you want to take uh, any of those thoughts and maybe package it up a bit nicer, Father Jeffrey? Well, no, I think you're absolutely right. The, there is no reason that an order within the body you know, should actually mean that some things are more equal than others, right? Um, you know, I think that the, the image of the body, that organic, you know, metaphor that St. Paul puts forward for the church, you know, is really important here. And we need to keep, you know, returning to it. The, the, the Holy Spirit indwells the entire body and it's the same spirit, right? It's not that, well, because I'm a presbyter, I have a different Holy Spirit in me or that yeah, like a level level uh, seven Holy Spirit, right. Uh, or some, you know, greater degree. I mean, it's none of that. I mean, we are all in the same divine life together. We're called to that same life. And so obviously as human beings who are part of the new creation, who are you know, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to, minister and proclaim that new creation to the whole world to enact it here and now what will be fully you know revealed everything there is 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 equal i mean we don't even need to go to the kind of you know rights level of equality and so forth but but it it fundamentally there's there's no difference i guess is what i'm trying to say it's the same Spirit, and if Saint Paul mentions this over and over again, that the, you know, there's one Lord, one baptism, uh, and and it's the one Holy Spirit who, who calls us, you know, into into this service, and yet that Spirit has uh, the the character of diversity in terms of gifts, and so within the body there are different roles, different functions, and so forth. But it's not for the foot to say to the knee, to say to the elbow, you know, I don't need you. And that there's a head who is Christ. And then within the the liturgical assembly of the church, obviously that role is played by fundamentally the bishop or his, you know, his ambassador in the presbyter within the local Orthodox uh, church community doesn't in any way say that the rest of the body isn't, isn't important. I mean, you know from biology what would happen if you had a head by itself it it, it would die um so yes it's both hierarchical or ordered i would say you know the hierarchy obviously brings in all kinds of um you know baggage sometimes but it fundamentally is a liturgical you know construct the very word itself was uh, coined by Dionysius the Areopagite, uh, was writing in around the fifth century in, in Syria, writing about the divine liturgy, and and he talks about hierarchy as this kind of ordering within liturgy, right? So it has to do with um, with order, with with everything having its proper function and its proper place, but it in no way undermines this, you know, this fundamental concept that it's the Holy Spirit that is indwelling and animating and gifting every member of the body. So the hand, the foot, the heart, 
the head, all of these have their important you know, parts to play. And, and in fact, only when the body is fully functional can the body actually manifest to the world you know, what it is properly supposed to, which is the body of a new creation, the body of the risen Lord Jesus, the one who laid down the old Adam and rose as the, the new Adam, uh, the one who is the, the kind of first fruits of all of our humanity, of all of our, um, of our being in, in the new kingdom. And so the body is extremely important because it's the risen body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see a necessary you know, disconnection, you know, between ordering and, and equality, you know, as you put it. I, 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 and I think, you know, we all bear responsibility for making these, these separations that have been entirely unhelpful. Because uh, I think on the one hand, you know, there are those who are all too happy to play that kind of domineering role you refer to. And, and so they accrue power and control and all of that. And, and they accept all of the excesses of separating out, you know, the bishop, the presbyter, uh, not so much the deacon, actually, but, you know, you get this kind of ultra veneration of, of, of what we've now come to call clergy, um, you know, and so there's that that happens, right? That people are happy to take on that power. But then I think there's been a real abdication on the part of, you know, the whole of the body of Christ, the whole of the people of God, and who've been happy to accept that and, and to sort of say, well, it means I don't have to work very hard at this, right? Because the people who have been set aside for this are doing the work for me, right? And if the church is failing in its ministry, well, surely that's the bishop's fault or the presbyter's fault, the deacon's fault. It's not mine because, well, I'm just a layperson, right? And therefore you get this whole thing of the layperson is the untrained you know, only occasionally called upon, you know, person in extremists who can maybe fill in a gap here or there, but otherwise is just along for the ride. Well, that is completely, you know, false. But as I say, the, the fault for that lies on both sides. I think both have been happy to play those roles for all too long. And yet, this is not at all the image of ministry in the New Testament church, where all of that you know, comes together in this, this sense of the prophetic fulfillment that God's people have become his possession, the lay have become the clergy. So we're getting close to the end of the public side of this episode, Father Jeffrey. Um, so in the private episode, which comes out on the Thursday of this week, uh, we're going to be talking a bit about um, the St. Hermione lay pastoral visitation group that has started in Toronto that you were involved with. So I, I want to get your take on that and what does that look like? And maybe people can glean something to take home to their own parishes. Um, I, I also want to talk about maybe who's somebody in your life, Father Jeffrey, and I'll share somebody from my life who is a lay person who really took that role of being a priest, right? In that biblical sense um, and brought that into the church and into the world. So somebody who we can like look to uh, or who we have seen in our own life who have been a model of, you know, a lay person who is indeed part of the inheritance of God as a, as a, as a, um, as a royal priest, uh, a member of the Holy nation. So, um, but before we end this episode, I want to ask you, Father Jeffrey, very quickly, if there's someone who's listening, who's sort of has, has been long frustrated with the 
inability to act in any kind of more significant way in the church. And they just feel kind of squashed. And as a, you know, as they're just a lay person, right? What can I do? What is maybe one thing that you would recommend or one thing that they can do to maybe change their thinking or um, one action that they can take or just something, one quick thing they could do to start on the journey of um, taking on more of this calling to be a member of the, of the royal priesthood? That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the f- places to start, and I don't think you'd be surprised by the answer that I give here, is to look very seriously at what the liturgy is calling us to do, right? And to take very seriously. It, it all has to start there. That's where we rehearse how we are in the world, right? It's where we take very seriously our role as baptized, chrismated, uh, you know, grafted members of the body of Christ, of, of, of this body of the new creation and so forth. Well, what does the liturgy ask us to do. And, and to recall, of course, that throughout the liturgy, you know, there's a we, and that we is the entire people of God. The entire Laos uh, is, is called to do these things. And what is the sacrifice? Because, of course, priesthood is about sacrifice. Well, what, how can we enact what the liturgy is asking us to do in terms of the sacrifice of of ourselves as a living sacrifice in the service of God, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that we're called to do, the sacrifice of service, the sacrifice of of proclaiming the kingdom to the world. I think in in those things, the the kind of living sacrifice of our bodies and lives and every talent and resource that we have, of giving praise and, and thanksgiving to God, of serving and of proclaiming. All of these are, are functions of, of what the liturgy itself is asking us to do. And I would just say, take heart and inspiration from that and go out from the liturgy each week, mindful of what you have just committed to do, because you can't attend the divine liturgy without making those pledges. Right, and then take those pledges seriously, and in some way, throughout the week, between divine liturgies, between communions, attempt you know to to live that out. And I think what you'll find is, although yes, we have domineering clergy on one side, and we have uh, you know kind of very quiet, uh, timid laity on the other, in this separation that we've made. But as soon as people start acting out these ways of sacrifice of themselves, of sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, of service, of proclamation, you know, that will quickly shift. There isn't a single domineering presbyter or bishop on the one hand, or a single timid congregation or laity on the other hand, that will not be somehow, uh, you know, there'll be a, a kind of inversion, convulsion, some kind of, of change that takes place, and it will be welcomed. I think people will get that naturally. As long as people step up and start making those, those efforts, um, you know, and it, it, it goes across every aspect, you know, of our lives. There's no moment in our day when those sacrifices can't come to the fore in, in whatever situation we find ourselves in with it, whoever we encounter and so forth. So as I say, we, we need to start with what we've already pledged to do by being part of a divine liturgy, by being part of that act of communion where laity and clergy have joined you know, together, where God's people have become his inheritance 
And if we take that seriously, it will begin to have this ripple effect on every aspect of church life and the ministry of the church to the world. You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time. 